Today's episode is brought to you by Pale Horse Media Co. Head on over to www.palehorsemedia.co for more of your favorite shows, books, and merch. I have two brand new releases for you over at Pale Horse Media Co. The first one, In His Name, My First Dive Into Fiction. It is just a fun, cool thriller if you're into that kind of sort of thing. And and we have the second expanded edition of the original, of the OG Safety Sucks, the bullshit and the safety profession they don't tell you about. I go through, I expand on some thoughts, add some bonus material, reflect on some of the chapters. So if either of those sound like things you should be interested in, again head over to www.palehorsemedia.co CO or find them on your Amazon marketplace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your support of the books of the podcast of the merch store of everything. It truly means the world to us. This, this, this show is brought to you by safety FM. The hop nerd podcast is brought to you by hop University. Head on over to hopuniversity.org. That's hopuniversity.org. We offer on-demand and in-person hop training, speaking engagements, one-on-one coaching for safety professionals, and consultation to organizations for all things safety better. Again, head over to hopuniversity.org. O-R-G. Today's episode is also brought to you by Safety Sucks, the bullshit in the safety profession they don't tell you about, aka my first book. You can pick up a copy over at safetysucks.net if you want a signed copy. It's also available on Amazon through Amazon Prime. You can get a Kindle version of that. You can also head over to Audible or iTunes and get an audiobook version. Again, today is brought to you by Safety Sucks. Head over to safetysucks.net or pick up a copy wherever you find books or audio books. Hello! Howdy! Hi, everybody. Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. How are you doing? I am doing absolutely awesome, coming to you from the sunny and the beautiful downtown Phoenix, Arizona. Other than the fact that it's still kind of hot here, and we're ready for summer to finally be over with. That will be awesome. We're ready for that to happen. It is warm. It is hot. It is a dry heat, I guess. But either way, I'm ready for it to not be summer. Today is super cool. It is kind of sort of different. And by kind of sort of, I mean, it's a lot different. Uh, it's me hanging out with my near and dear friend, Mr. Bill Gettings. And we're talking about um, a little smidge of Project Visible, which you've probably seen floating around out there. We're kind of kind of chatting about that a little bit. And then we just talk about all kinds of random stuff. So it's it's different. It's definitely different. We're not diving into too much hop stuff. We're not really diving into anything safety related. We're we're kind of chatting about Project Visible and diving into music and everything else in between. So here we go. Here's uh me and Bill and you and we're just talking about everything. Yeah, um so I just had another interesting idea, you know, talking about the young professionals, you know, we add in the generational approach to the safety community and one thing that might really be cool is if we could get um 
get the list of past presidents for ASSP as a society and like start looking them up on LinkedIn and literally who's, who's the oldest one out there who we could still have an interview with and talk about what was safety like for them. And I mean, yeah. that may be somebody we're talking to that was, you know, who, who they might've retired 20 or 30 years ago, even, but yeah. to talk about safety then, and what their experiences were, how they got into it, what were the educational opportunities like, you know, when they were starting off. Because, you know, if we talk with someone who's 80 years old, you're talking about they were going through their educational aspect 60 years ago, yeah. which, you know, is before both of us were even born, you yeah. know. So yeah. I think that would be super cool if we could reach out to some of those, you know, forefathers so. of our community as well. And we could do the same thing with national safety council is, you know, reach out to some of the past leadership from there as well. Yeah. I think, I think you're exactly right. I mean, that's, that's where we're kind of expanding to, right. I mean, we're, we're, we're wanting to, to, it's that, right. It's that cross slice, right. We, we want to, we want to capture a little bit of all those voices. And I think that that's good. I think that's an exact, yeah. I yeah. Because I mean, to me, the most important thing about this series is that it's celebrating diversity within our profession. Yeah. And I don't want to not include any aspect of diversity, you know? So, you know, one of the things that, you know, always seems to be kind of the fight and for me to be, get just a wee bit controversial for a second um, is the old white male you know, demographic. Well, I don't, I certainly don't want to leave them out of this conversation. We would not be where we are right now without, you know, those bricks that were laid as our foundation as a society before or as a profession before. So, um, you know, and it would be really interesting to just hear some of those, you know, differences between, you know, then and now and, you know, how did they address diversity within the profession, you know, as leaders, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. No, I, I love it because that's, that's where my mind goes as well. You know, for me, um, as I think about what, what this, what this project is and, and really where it can go, my mind goes to the exact same place. As I mentioned before, I've, I've, it's more of, it's more of getting that, that cross slice of the profession and showing, you know, the diversity that's, that's within our group. And celebrating that diversity, you said, and not not leaving anyone out of that picture at all, right? Right. I think I think it's a, it is exactly that. I obviously have um, certain areas that I that I want to ensure we we share, and certain voices we want to amplify. You know, but it, it is exactly that to me. It's 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 really what we set out to do when we first kind of started talking about it. It's that it's just sharing the diverse voices from, from within our profession. I think, I think that's, that's it. That's the cleanest statement as I can make around it. Right. (laughs) You know, another interesting segment that we should look at is the um, higher education advisors of some of the student sections from ASSP. Um, you know, and, and we could talk to those um, professors and department heads of environment, health and safety, higher education programs about how do they address, you know, the demographics of um diversity within their organizations, you know, as far as recruiting, you know, because, you know, they do, they recruit to try to get people into their programs. How does, you know, diversity and inclusion weigh into that with their programs um, in higher education? I think that would be a really interesting thing to, you know, have a, a couple of segments on as well. 
Yeah, I think so. I like it. I like it. Cause that's definitely, that's definitely a place where uh, that conversation needs to be had, you know, um, that's a conversation and in, in, in not even directly related to, to diversity that I've had quite a bit lately. Um, as, as I, as I kick hornet's nest, I, I, I encourage others to kick hornet's nest, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. So I've, I've had that conversation with many other folks that are doing that. They're beating down the doors of these folks going, Hey, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about what, what are we actually teaching our safety professionals? Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've had, I've had several folks reach out to me and go, listen, I'm going, I'm going to these advisory boards of, of my local community college. I'm going to these boards of, of my local universities and demanding that they hear what I have to say. I've been a safety professional for 30 years and they're turning out, education requirements aren't that great. I'm going to go tell them what I feel about it. <laughs> I'm going, that's good. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I'm writing training programs right now. I don't really have time to do a position statement on this, but yeah, I'll see. No, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm elbows deep in this, in a book right now and I'm starting to get elbows deep in, in a cookbook too, of all things. And I'm, I'm starting to get elbows deep into exploring, um, into exploring publishing just in general, right. And starting to do a little bit of indie publishing. So, cause all, all, all the stuff that I'm doing myself, I'm publishing myself. Right. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to start indie publishing. Right. So that's, that's a natural I'm, progression. Sure. Right. Exactly. I'm starting to, you know, if I'm publishing my own stuff, I can indie publish other people's stuff too. <laughs> it's starting to develop a little bit of a catalog here. And uh, so I'm, I'm working down that path right now. So I'm, I'm just elbows deep in writing of all sorts to where when it comes to a position paper, it's just, I'm sorry. So at what point do you have enough clients to where you would no longer be considered an independent publisher, but just a publisher? I think you have to have a bunch. (laughs) (laughs) I think you got to, and plus I think you got to be able to like actually have real titles. Right. Gotcha. (laughs) You know, like I said, I I luck. you know, well, I won't say it was, it was luck, but you know, I was fortunate enough um, with the first release of safety sucks to do decently well with it. Um, to where it kind of, I was like, okay, well I can write a little bit. Like I, I enjoy writing as part of what I, what I enjoy. And then going down the path of, of that, you know, the more that I kind of you know, chatted with some friends because safety sucks is, is not a safety book. It's more of a memoir of the suck of safety, right? It's more of right. a memoir than it is anything else. Um, and so kind of going down that path of writing and just enjoying the whole process and the publishing process and everything else just kind of led me to that, that I'm, I'm at that point now to where I'm, I'm not quite to the point of I'm still just publishing stuff, mostly my own. But as I kind of start to progress, you know, I'm, I'm already starting to work with some, even so the, the cookbook that I'm working on um, with some friends actually is, is an Appalachian cookbook. So <laughs> just random kind of random stuff, you know, that I'm like, this is stuff that I want. Right. I enjoy this. So if I enjoy it, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to publish it, which is the nice part about the indie side is that if I feel like writing a safety book, I can write a safety book. If I feel like, you know, the, the book that I'm working on right now um, is, is more about my experience growing up in Appalachian coming out and kind of all that stuff. Um, and then if I want to write fiction, I can, it doesn't matter. It's whatever, whatever the hell I feel like. <laughs> so give me an example or two or three of Appalachia centric recipes. Well, you can kind of take, and I'm trying to think of, there's not much that's pure. That's kind of why I, why I pause for a second. There's not a lot of, of pure Appalachian <clears throat> recipes. It's this weird mixture of, of, of really um, various types of food that were brought into the country. 
with immigrants immigrating to Appalachia and Southern cuisine. So it was a mixture of those two things. So on any given day, you might have, you know, soup beans and cornbread and fatback, which is about as, you know, that's, that's like a normal meal. That's like six days out of the week because it was cheap, you know, and then the, you know, you'd have a massive slab of green onion with that, you know, and then when the meal was done, you would have that cornbread left over crumbled up in a cup with buttermilk on top of it. Sweet milk. Yeah. So there, there's, there's, there's some of, you know, that was kind of the normal. So you can see where there's, there's Appalachian Southern kind of stuff that comes together, um, you know, to, to uh, even down into some of the stuff I'd seen your picture you'd shared with some chow chow. Right. And I'm looking at chow chow going, God, that's so good. Right. right? And I, and, and I, and I remember walking into, um, you know, in my childhood home, there was this kind of root cellar in it, right? And you'd go into this root cellar, this unfinished side of the basement, and you'd go in there was these old crocs that were probably, God, they had to be a hundred years old, you know, the big thick porcelain crocs. Mm-hmm. And you would walk in and it would smell like pure death because they'd be making sauerkraut or they would be making um, hot pickle or they would be making chow chow. They'd be making any of this stuff in these gigantic crocs. And then the whole wall was lined with canned, canned assortments of stuff that come out of the garden, you know. Um, and canned deer meat and canned this and canned tomatoes and canned, <laughs> canned whatever. Grab three different cans and you make a soup out of it. You know, but I would say probably some of the more more kind of iconic stuff. And again, when you when you hear this, it's 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 external influence, right? Everything on Appalachia was was is external influence. So cabbage rolls, right? That's one of the most common meals that we would have. It's cabbage rolls, right? Not built, not constructed in the mountains. It's not where that came from. Right. <laughs> right. So it's weird because you get this real, it's this weird intersection because what happens is a lot of folks were kind of banished to the mountains, right? Okay. We, we don't, we don't like your religion. You can go to the, to the mountains. We don't like where you came from. You can go to the mountains. We don't like, you know, your accent. You can go to the mountains. We don't like your color. You can go to the mountains. <laughs> right? Well, so, yeah. And it, it was also the people that, didn't want to be around other people for sure. Yeah. Where sure. can I go to be left alone? Right. Let You're, me go to the mountains. Exactly. So it was this, you know, and it was always so it's, it's, it's interesting to me because when you really look back on the history of at least the region, the, the Appalachian region that I came from, the area up until a certain point was always very open-minded and accepting of other people, which is strange. They, they, they almost, devolved into not being open and accepting of other people because you had such a mixture of people that you literally had a race of people that was called the Appalachian Melugeon, right? That was a mixture of different people, right? right? You look, you look back through these folks, right? And there was, there was never this real, um, the people were diverse, the food was diverse and it all kind of come together in this intersection of the mountains and it was that, I mean, it was, it was a little bit of everything. It was, it was a really, it had a very interesting history, but um, as with most of those dishes, um, that's where there's so much, as, as, I, as I was kind of chat with my partner, Jarrell, I mean, that's what we talk about kind of the, and I think even you and I talked about it a little bit, um, the carryover between, um, in, in his case, Filipino cuisine and the food that we grew up on, it was just, it was, it's just this kind of hearty kind of food um, almost comfort-based food, and it was it was really developed out of necessity because of our kind of status in the world. 
<laughs> it is interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's further interesting, you know, even in these times that, um, you know, people don't realize that, you know, there were pockets of the South that weren't really like the rest of the South. And the primary exactly. example of that is East Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, East Tennessee sided with um, the Union during the uh, Civil War and right. not until they were forced um, basically um, to you know, support the Confederacy, did that happen? But they were like, you know, this this isn't our fight. You know, we're up here in the mountains, leave us alone. Um, The union's been good to us. We, you know, we don't have a dog in the fight kind of thing. And, um, you know, so, you know, that's, I think, an interesting example of a bubble within the the Appalachia. Um, The blue people of Kentucky is another interesting, you know, bubble within Appalachia in that, you know, you had this mountain and this holler and they were so remote from the rest of the world. And there was, there was so much, um, you know, I guess just inbreeding is, is the Mm -hmm. the best word to use that they, they, (laughs) they um, had a genetic disease that caused them to have blue tinted skin. And there was a whole family um, from, uh, gosh, it was uh, the late 1800s to I think the last person was in 1975 that wow. you know had this condition, but they weren't discovered until sometime in the 50s or 60s, I think. Um, That's crazy, isn't it? But like the people in town, you know, the closest town to them, they knew about them, but it just never kind of got outside that yeah. sphere. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, you're exactly right. Is that you know, the majority of the mountain people of Appalachia were Scots-Irish, um, mm-hmm. just based on the, the um, you know, the immigration um, patterns. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see how the music and the food and the dialects that we have and the words that we grew up with, um, you know, all kind of, you know, came from, you know, way back when. Yeah, it was it was very it's very interesting because exactly you're exactly right. There's a lot of Scotch Irish. There's actually a lot of Germanic influence as well. You kind of see that kind of especially as you kind of get up more from Virginia up towards kind of more towards Ohio Valley and kind of in through that direction. Oh, for sure, more, for sure. Some, some more of that as well. And it just kind of all it was just it, to me. It's all just always been interesting. Again, that just the just the intersectionality of all that stuff. You know how you find such. Um, such diversity in the food just in general. Cause I, I'm a fan of that. I really think that you can tell a lot about people, how they eat. Right? If you go to an area and you, you look at how they eat, it'll tell you a lot about how they eat. And when you go to Appal- Appalachia and you see that it's that, you know, um, I've got, I've got some, some friends that they grew up uh, extremely, extremely um, in, in, in extreme poverty. And to the point to where now, if you show them a soup bean, they will attack you, right? <laughs> they would, they, 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 they just, cause they lived off of them, right? They're like, I'd keep that away from me. I don't want to ever see a bean again for the rest of my life. Right? <laughs> but it's, it's funny though, because uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's just interesting. Um, again, when I take, uh, when I take Jarrell back, it's like that, you know, he feels very much at home with the style of right. how, how the family is and, how the food goes and just kind of the, you know, 
how well, things are. I, I, I tell you, there's there's a butcher about two and a half blocks from my house, and I believe I'm going to have to go see him tomorrow and see if I can't get me a ham bone. And <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure that my um, my um, going to make soup beans or green beans. My Instapot is going to have some <laughs> some pintos in it um, <laughs> by the end of the week yet, and I'll have to break out the cast iron and fire up some big thing of cornbread and yeah. Yeah, yeah, you've kind of talked me into it at this point. Well, that that's it. There's just certain things, right? There's certain things that just instantly kind of come to memory, you know. Right. I think about I think about that. I think about cabbage rolls. That's one thing that always comes to my mind. For me, one thing that really, really gives me, um, really makes me homesick is when I think about chicken and dumplings. Mm. That's one thing that that because um, my mom always makes. She never made the rolled kind of flat dumplings. She made drop dumplings. Right. Drop dumplings. Right? Yeah. So she made drop dumplings, those and those these big kind of cat head biscuits that she would make. Um, oh God, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's just, that just kind of instantly kind of puts me back that. And that kind of just the, 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 the flashback that I get is like, is my parents sitting on the porch stringing green beans, you know, stringing and snapping green beans, like white half runners, you know, and then kind of the same thing, ham bone in a pot, green beans, you know, cooked down. Oh, yeah, perfect. Doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's really hard for me to get that food where I'm at. You at least have a Cracker Barrel. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm jealous of you. So um, I'm, I'm a huge Cracker Barrel fan. I just am. Right. And, and my, my daughter is too. Our, our daughter loves it. She, she loves Cracker Barrel. And I'm, I'm a nerd for the, I'm a nerd for the old country store too. Right. So I like to go wander around and look at all the, all the redneck country memorabilia that's in there. You know, I, I like to go kind of look through Dolly Parton CDs and mm-hmm. <laughs> do stupid stuff like Cracker Barrel. <laughs> yeah. I listened to uh, another episode of the Dolly Parton podcast um, on my way home yesterday, Dolly Parton's America. Have you, I love it. Yeah. Uh, I, I listened to, um, another episode. On, I'm, I'm trying to stretch it out as long as possible. Cause it's only like seven or it's, eight episodes. That's the only thing that killed me. I got so hooked to it that I would go home from work. This, cause I started listening to it before all this happened. I would go home right. from work. I would leave the TV off and I would turn on the podcast and listen to the podcast. Cause I, I was just glued to it. Right. Just, there's just the storytelling in it, the way that it's produced kind of the, the angle, the angle right. that it comes in at, it's just perfect. Right. Yeah. You, when, when I, when I think about, um, cause I, I, I kind of, there's not a lot of podcasts that I consume anymore just cause I'm so busy creating. But when I do find stuff like that, it's that when I think a gold standard of podcast, that's one of the ones that I refer people to. Like if you want to hear like a really well-produced interview style podcast, plus it's Dolly. So it's just awesome. <laughs> you know, go, go tune into this one. I, I love that one. I'm to the point where I just need to go back and re-listen to it. It's, it's good. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I think I've only got one episode left. Um, the, another one of my favorites right now, I don't know if you've listened to uh, Mobituaries. I don't think so. So, um, it is, um, hosted by Mo Rocca, who is one of the, um, what would you call him? Um, he's one of the contributors to CBS Sunday morning. Oh, okay. And, um, the idea is, is he talks about things that are no longer here. So instead of obituaries, it's mobituaries because his name is Mo. Yeah. And um, like he had one the other 
today. Well, it came out the beginning of January, but I just listened to it the other day. That was um, Lawrence Welk, the death of a death, death of a square. And it talks oh. about the Lawrence Welk show and how that part of Americana just kind of died off. Yeah. Um, and it was a totally interesting podcast. Like I did not expect to get that into it, but um, they honestly, they just killed it. Wow. Absolutely killed it. <laughs> there's a, there's some good ones out there and you know, that's, that's what I love about podcasting and you know, that's even stuff that, that uh, Jarell and I have talked about. We've, 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 we've kind of got some ideas on the board of stuff that we even me and him are going to do together at some point, you know, when we kind of free up and have time. Cause I'm into like this weird kind of quirky kind of, um, I like, like, like I was, I was just pulling up like my list of podcasts. Like one of my favorite ones I listen to is this one called, and that's why we drink. And it's just, it's just, it's just these two people and they sit around and they talk about like one tells a paranormal story, one tells a true crime story. And it's just full of just like comedy and stuff. It's just, it's just, it's just hilarious. I like that one. And then there's another one called wine and crime. That's, that's not as funny. So I don't listen to it as much as I do. And that's why we drink. But so I became, I'll just, I'll just be honest with you. Um, I totally just fangirl over and that's why we drink. So they were in Phoenix. And again, prior to all of this stuff, there's a, there's a actually a really cool little comedy club in downtown Phoenix. And they came to the comedy club. We did like the full on, like, I'm, I'm ashamed, Bill. I won't even tell you how much I spent to do this, to do the full on like meet and greet, like pictures with them, whole thing, you know, cause I just taught, I just, yeah, just, they're just awesome. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I so we kind of did that for each other. So the, um, the hosts, their names are M and Christine. And again, I just just love them. So Drell did that for me for my birthday, and then for Valentine's Day, I did the exact same thing for him, but with Tori Kelly. So Tori Kelly was here, and uh, we did. I was like, okay, if he if he did this for me for my birthday, I have to go big for Valentine's Day because my my birthday's in November. Right. Valentine's Day's right around the corner. I was like, this is I got I gotta you know I gotta gotta up the game here a little bit <laughs> after that. So I, I got him the whole meet and greet thing with Tori Kelly. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I've yeah. never done yeah i don't think i've ever done a meet and greet you know i haven't either like i'm not i don't i'm usually not that person right if if i really so so like i like with tori kelly i she i like her music it's okay it's not really my style he loves it right so that that's his thing he's a singer that's like his thing you know um but when it gets into like there's very few people but if I really like them, like if I just, you know, there's for me, there's always that fear, like they're going to be an asshole. It's going to be a letdown. Like, it's just going to be awful, you know? Um, but if there's certain people, I just really like to go out and support them. Right. You know, just in, in, you know, for especially other podcasts and, you know, for especially folks like that, people that I listen to almost every single day, you know, if I have the opportunity to go out and support them, I will. And then if it's just the weird kind of wacky, like um, I missed it. I was bummed that I missed it, but I was going to go meet uh, Martha Stewart. She was at the, uh, at the Phoenix home and garden convention, something. It was free. Oh I was gosh. like, I'm like, it's free. I'm going to go, I'm going to go take a picture with Martha Stewart. Of course I am. Right. <laughs> you know, but I ended up being out of town. I had to go work. It's well, you know, it, it, it is interesting. I, I did just think I actually did do a, um, a meet and greet not long ago with a guy named big Steve, which was Jerry's roadie, uh, Jerry Garcia from the grateful dead. Yeah. And, um, there's a dispensary, 
about five or six blocks from my house here in San Francisco. And, um, they had big Steve there, um, because there is a, um, manufacturing, uh, marijuana manufacturing company, you know, that they, they have their own grows and, and produce their own product. Um, and, they've kind of done this grateful dead theme around some of the product. And one of the products is named after big Steve. And so he was there promoting that product. And I was like, you know, this would be cool. So I just walked down there to see what the hype was about. And it was, they, they literally have another space beside their store beside their dispensary that was just like couches and chairs and everybody was just sitting there hanging out telling stories. And so I just went and sat down there for about 30 minutes and just listened to the stories being told of these people yeah. on the road with the grateful dead. And it was a really cool experience. Didn't cost me anything, That's um, yeah. you know, and, and it's not like I asked him for an autograph or anything, but yeah. it was, um, well, it's, it's funny. Cause you kind of, I found myself kind of thrust into those situations way more than I sought them out. Right kind of similar. Um, I don't know if you, you have you heard of old crow medicine show? Oh, band? of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I was obsessed with them for a while too. And I, I still love them. And cause I, I grew up playing bluegrass, kind of that style of folksy kind of bluegrass. Right. So folks like old crow and Jillian Welch and Dave Rollins and kind of that right. style of that style of not the traditional kind of like, you know, bluegrass, you know, but kind of that style of bluegrass, that kind of more folksy stuff is kind of what I, I was into. And I still am, you know, quite a bit. I will burn up some Jillian Welch. If I get started playing Jillian Welch, I won't stop for days. Um, but like, I would just random, like we, I'd seen them in Bristol, Tennessee. And we just kind of, we went out to eat afterwards and just ran into them and just started hanging out with them. <laughs> yeah. Know, just got just a weird situation, you know, and just weird stuff like that. I went and I have a very broad and diverse taste in music. So um, I love indie bands and there's a great venue down here in downtown Phoenix. And so Jimmy eat world, if you've heard of them, they're a, they're a they're a local band. They're from Mesa, Arizona. Um, but I went down and, and seen a band um, called Tokyo police club, which is just a little indie band that I followed for years. And they come through Phoenix about once a year, they'll swing through. And every time I get the opportunity to go see them, I will. And um, it was just cool because it's just a really cool venue. I love small venues. I love kind of these really neat kind of grungy concert halls. You know, it's this weird room where there's basically a door here, a door here, a bar, a stage, and it's like this wide. Right. It's, so you're, you're automatically up front. No matter where you go, you're up front. And the back wall has a couple rows of bleachers for folks that want to sit down. And it might hold 1,500 people if you really cram them in there. You know, so it was, it was just a neat venue. So it's a really intimate spot anyways. And, you know, we don't get the opportunity to go out very much. So when we do, we usually stay out for a while. For a while you know? So the, the concert's over. Yeah, at like Try midnight. to find a sitter that'll do an overnight. Right. Yeah. The, the <laughs> concert, the concert's almost over. Um, and, you know, the, the people start piling out. And then this is a really cool venue here. It's called the Crescent Ballroom. And uh, we go down there for New Year's all the time because, which reminds me, I don't know what the hell's going to happen on New Year's this year, but we go down there because they shut down the streets and have this massive block party in Phoenix and it's based out of the Crescent, but it goes concert hall. And then right beside of the concert hall in the same building, is just like a little entrance and a little restaurant. And as we kind of, we stayed for a few minutes and then made our way across to that. And we were instantly hooked because we walked from the concert into, um, into drag karaoke. 
So we're like, we're staying. We're going to stay for this. Yeah, you think? <laughs> we're not leaving. And it's cool because it's a little teeny tiny room. There's like, there's like six or seven tables and everybody's just crammed in there. And then the entire band just kind of pulled the, the band we had just watched. They just wander in and like, okay, we're, we're staying for this too. We're going to do karaoke too. Right. <laughs> so we just, same thing. It was like 12, it was like 10, 15 people plus the band hanging out doing, doing, uh, doing drag karaoke. It was amazing. That's so hilarious. I just find myself in these weird situations, Bill, where it kind of works out. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's, um, over in San Rafael, which is in the East Bay, just across the the Golden Gate Bridge, um, Mm -hmm. probably about 30 or 40 minutes away from me. Uh, Phil Lesh has a venue called Terrapin Crossroads and Phil Lesh played for the Grateful Dead. And I've gotten to see a show or two there and, um, Phil is there. Right. Like he's just walking around his bar and restaurant and they have pretty good food. Um, I was kind of impressed, but um, yeah, it's cool to go there. And then how far did you grow up from Galax? Not far. So because the the Fiddler convention is held in Galax every year. Um, For, for such a tiny place, how big it becomes for the Fiddler convention is pretty insane. Yeah. We used to, uh, we used to go to Galax. They had the Fiddler's commission. They had another, they had another big something over there, but yeah, Galax. Yeah. Right yeah. right there. Not far, yeah. not far at all. Yeah. My aunt's from Galax. Yeah. So. so that, that, that was in my neck of the woods. That was right. un, under an hour from where I live. Yeah. Just a so couple any, hollers any, over. Yeah. So say anything under an hour is walking distance. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Those were cool though. I forgot about the Fiddler's convention. That's yeah, yeah, that's cool. And then they had little, the counties had little, little mini Fiddler's convention things that they would do too all, all throughout there. And it was, yeah, that was cool. So I, yeah. I take it, I take it you're a deadhead then. Um, I am. Um, it's, it's really weird. I became a fan of the Grateful Dead when I was a police officer. Yeah. So um, I was a police officer in Clemson, South Carolina, which is where Clemson University was and um, didn't make a lot of money when I was starting off in my career. And one of the ways that I could afford to live was um, there were certain apartment complexes that would um, either give reduce rent like half price or would give you an apartment um, for you to be the resident officer of that community. And so um, the first place that I did that, uh, there were three young ladies that lived next door to me who were Grateful Dead fans. And literally, I probably didn't start listening to the Grateful Dead music. It, It was probably under a year and then Jerry passed away. And yeah. so I never got to see a live show with Jerry. I've seen every other aspect of the Grateful Dead perform since he passed away, uh, Further mm-hmm. and Dead and Company and, you know, a lot of other yeah. shows. But, um, yeah, it's, it's um, you know, first of all, he's one of the greatest guitarists that ever lived. And considering that he was working with only four out of five fingers of a hand, yeah. that, um, you know, that takes him to another dimension. Um, and then literally his, the home that he lived in and the home that he grew up in um, are both within a half mile of where I live. That's cool. That's so cool. It is yeah, so it's, cool. So it's, I'm it's in funny. the neighborhood that he grew up. That's so cool. It's funny because, so I get this question a lot because I'm a hillbilly and at work, they even, they like, if somebody, I've got certain managers that lovingly call me hillbilly, right? That's what they, that's kind of my, what you yelled across the hall. Hey, hillbilly, right. come here for a second. So when we start talking about, I get this question from folks that just aren't experiencing it. I say, well, if I want to start listening to bluegrass, what would be the first place? Where should I start? And believe it or not, I always point them in one direction. It's always to Olden in the way. 
Right. It's always the first album that I put point them to for bluegrass. I don't send them anywhere else. I'm like, if you really want to understand bluegrass, this is the first place you should start. Yep. You can get into all the other crap later, but this, this is it. Well, you when know, I, when it's I think of bluegrass, this is what I think about. That's how I got into bluegrass was yeah. I became this huge Grateful Dead fan. And, and we had a little small record store in downtown Clemson. And um, about twice a month when I got paid, I would go and I would buy a CD or an album. Um, and the guy, the manager's name was Rich. And so I'd walk in and be like, all right, Rich, you know, what do you have for me today? And um, that was a big deal. That was like my treat to myself um, was to spend that, you know, 10 to $15 on an album or a CD um, because I just, like I said, I didn't make a lot of money. And I had literally bought up almost everything that he could get his hands on. And I walk in one day and he goes, have you ever heard of Olden in the way? And I was like, no. And he goes, what do you think about bluegrass? And I'm like, what, you know? <laughs> and he goes, well, just trust me get this. And they did three recordings. Um, and then that led me into the pizza tapes. Um, and then, um, that also led me into, um, Shady Grove, which was a combination, um, release, a double, double release that, uh, David Grisham and Jerry Garcia did that to me is one of the best recordings of all time. And then another great one is the, um, not for kids only. Um, which they sing children's songs. I don't think I've listened to that. I have to check that out. Absolutely amazing. My dad, when my niece was born, my dad would play um, Not For Kids Only with Jerry Garcia and David Grissom playing uh, children's songs. You know, that's, that's, yeah. yeah. I'm not to the point to where I could really call myself a complete deadhead. But yeah, I'm always turning on the Grateful Dead. Always. Have have you ever heard of archive.org? I don't think so. So So go to archive.org and it is a internet archive and they archive everything. Um, But the majority of the live recordings from the Grateful Dead, you can find on that website as long with literally thousands of other artists, live shows that allow live recording. Um, But, you know, one of the greatest things about the Grateful Dead is they never played the same show twice. Right. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And and they toured for like 40 years or something. I mean, yeah, some huge 30 years. Yeah, I have to I have to check that out. Yeah, that's I'd actually just posted it the other day. That's my so like my go to and it's for my daughter, too. She loves it. It's it's our go to happy song is Touch of Grey. So as as soon as we come on, like I can't not smile. Like as soon as I hear that song, it's just that to me, that's that's the gauge for music. You know, for me, it's it's the feeling that I get from it, and that's right. that's I struggle with explaining that to people because it seems that some people just don't feel music like others, right? You know, and it, when I, I can hear something and it just hits me, right? It's certain songs I hit, I can they just hit me and I'll just cry like I can't help it. You know, certain songs will hit me and I'll just just chill bumps, you know, just instantly, and the hair will stand up on the back of my neck. And, you know, for me, that song, it just hits me and I'm just instantly happy. I can't can't not be happy. I can be the most pissed off, grumpy person in the world at the time. And as soon as I hear that song, I smile. I just just can't help it. Well, (laughs) you know, the interesting thing is, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite songs, too. And one of the reasons it's one of my favorite songs is because um, it's one of the few Grateful Dead songs that gets played on regular radio. Yeah, so, yeah. 
you know, yeah. but before I had the ability to stream whatever I wanted when I was riding down the road, um, it would always be nice to be able to hear that when it came on because it was one of the yeah. few Grateful Dead songs that would be played by regular radio stations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for that very reason, most Grateful Dead, like true deadheads, don't really care yeah. for that song because it yeah. commercialized the Too dead. mainstream, bro. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but there's a meme that I got from somebody, gosh, um, over 17 years ago now. Wow. Yeah. Um, old school it, meme. It is old, old school. school and it basically shows an outdoor festival, um, you know, at kind of the golden hour. And it yeah. says, I believe in music the way that some people believe in fairy tales. And, you know, I think that's kind of the way that I think about music is that, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's more of a feeling than anything right it's it's is a combination of nostalgia and happiness and yeah. comfort and love and experimentation and yeah yeah there was a there was a study that i'd actually read on that because there is there is different people are wired differently to feel music in different ways and i, I forget what the study was but i can't even remember the complete concepts that were poured out in it but it was interesting because it's talking about you know how certain people have a elicit music elicits extreme emotional response from some people. And I kind of fit into that category. And I think most people that really feel music probably, you know, we probably do. It sounds like you're probably in that same boat, you know, with me, because when, like when I talk to Jarrell, like, he's like, I don't really feel anything. You know, we'll talk about music. He's like, I don't really feel anything with music. You know, it's, he's, he's listening to the, to the, he, he's a vocalist. So he's listening. He, he likes the technical side of it. It's got to right. be perfect. It's perfect. It's got to be perfect. You know, the, the runs in the song have to be perfect and everything has to be perfect. And I'm sitting there listening to, you know, here I'm, here I'm sitting there listening to like Lou Reed or something like that's not perfect, but that's everything. Right. <laughs> you know, like that's the farthest thing from perfect, but it's everything. So, right. So there's like the different, it's the different views on it, I guess. You know? Yeah. It's, <laughs> technically, um, technically the velvet underground wasn't perfect. But it was everything. Right. <laughs> well, you know, I can even say that about the Carter family. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. think about what they did for Appalachian music. Well, and I, th I think that's such a really good example because, yeah, you go back and you listen to some of those old Carter record recordings. And when you, you know, you got to pick on them a little bit because you really get the backstory that they were more song thieves than they were really. <laughs> and AP Carter really drove around Appalachia stealing songs. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he did. And so he would drive to Bristol and record them. Right. So I don't know. Have you been to the Carter family fold? I have not yet. It is definitely go. on my list. So, so where, where I lived, you're talking about Galax and all that stuff. So where I lived, you would basically, I lived in, in this little unincorporated town beside of a little town called Richland, Virginia. And you would drive up. And so you kind of drive and you have Abington and Bristol kind of up the road. And so to, to hit the Carter family fold, you basically hit a little road, this little area called Mendota. And you would just cruise down this road and then boom, there's a Carter family fold. Johnny Cash played his last show there, right? Um, there's some, some really, really good video of that last show too. Uh, but so it was yeah. just right. It was just in my backyard. I'd never been until, you know, until one day I was, I was talking to my, to my mom and she was like, yeah, yeah. The Carter family is down that road. I'm like, like the Carter family. Like, <laughs> the, like, she's like, yeah, they're all buried out there at the church too. I'm like, <laughs> Like, and we haven't been. So what? So I, you know, I went back home and you know, threw in a car. You know, I flew back home for the visit. Like we're going. <laughs> you know, and went out. And I don't know what they do out there now, but they have. So they have the original home site, 
right around the corner, they have the church and they're all kind of kind of mountain cemeteries up on a hill. They're all buried up on the hill. And then beside of the original home site, they basically had at that time, at least they had a little music hall built. Right. And you could go in and it was very, it was that very Southern, you know, kind of, it, it reminded me almost of like a Southern auction house, you know, as you can yep. see like chili and hot dog skin in the back. And it was just that kind of food, you know, and big long tables with the big plastic, big plastic tablecloths over it and folding, you know, folding chairs, almost like a church supper, you know, <laughs> but they had a little teeny tiny stage and then people would get up there and play. And it was yeah. really, really good experience. But yeah, the, and then so again, their home site was here. Bristol was right there. They would just run that circle through the mountains, you know, because yep. all those songs, it was just, it was just historical accounts. Yep. That's really what, what they were. Right. I mean, it was, it was the newsreel of the day. It was the storybook of the day. And um, so that's where they picked up a lot of those songs from is just going around and he would just go around and listen and pick up the tone, pick up the keys. And then the the original birthplace of country music, Bristol, Bristol, Virginia, Bristol, Tennessee. Yep. And they have a massive, they have a massive museum there now, right, right on the middle of, cause they have a state street that splits the two States. Right. And uh, yeah, we, we had went uh, one of our last trips or several trips ago, we had actually went and went to the museum and all that stuff to the original home of country music. They're trying to fight, they're trying to claw some of that Nashville revenue back because everything kind of disappeared <laughs> to Nashville after a while. Yeah. We've, um, we've talked about our next road trip being kind of a, um, diversity road trip when this whole COVID thing's over and <clears throat> do things like go to where the Woolworths were for the sit-ins and go to Selma for the bridge. And, and I think another good aspect of that would be, um, we want to go to Dollywood. I think adding Bristol and the Carter family mm-hmm. fold on there would be an interesting aspect of, but yeah, yeah that's kind of, we want to, we want to kind of do that Southern diversity tour yeah. and, uh, as, I thought as, as I thought about doing experience. the same thing, especially especially with my partner Jarrell. You know, he's never really experienced the South, mm-hmm. um, other than you know the few little trips we made. And I've wanted to do that and just kind of fly into an airport, rent a car, just drive kind of all through kind of all the areas that I've I've known well. Some of them, most of them, you know, and then uh, catch a catch a plane from another airport. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's back. what we're. I think that's what we'll plan for. Hopefully, twenty twenty one. If not, just, maybe twenty twenty two. Just, just but. make make sure make sure you hit the uh, hit the Blue Ridge Parkway. You want to make sure. Oh, you yeah. get that. And yeah, you, you can look at all the pretty leaves going to fall. Make sure you catch the leaves changing and all the good yep. stuff. <laughs> exactly. Well, good deal, my friend. Yep, you want to yep. wrap it up? Yeah, I think we should. I need to. Uh, we have to go over and and look at uh, a property in downtown. But yeah, I, I feel like we talked a little bit about everything else and and not as much about safety. <laughs> well, what did you think about that one? It was it was different, right? Hopefully, you got a little bit of information on what we've got planned for Project Visible. It's going to be super duper awesome. So if you haven't checked out all of that stuff. Go follow Project Visible on LinkedIn, YouTube. Go check it out pretty much anywhere. There's obviously the website out there. I'll share that below down in the show notes. But um, again, just trying to amplify and share the stories and, and amplify diverse voices from within the safety profession. It's going to be super cool. Plus, you got to uh, hear us chat about stuff that's a whole lot cooler than safety. We talked about the Grateful Dead. That's a lot cooler than safety. So <laughs> that's all I've got is Sam Goodman, the hop nerd, signing off. Bye.
Thanks again, everybody, for listening in. Do me a favor, head over to hopuniversity.org for all things safety better. I do speaking engagements, hop training, pretty much anything else you can imagine as far as human and organizational performance in-person services. We also offer all kinds of stuff virtually. So from hop basics to basic learning team stuff to one-on-one coaching and learning team facilitation through in a distanced format. We do that all through hopuniversity.org. We also offer a lot of services through Teachable, such as training and coaching. And then we also have stores on both of our websites at hopuniversity.org and thehopnerd.com. You can pick up a copy of the book there as well while supplies last. The book is also available on Amazon and pretty much anywhere else that you find books. Places like Audible, if you're into audiobooks and things like that. Again, thank you for continuing to tune in. Thank you for everything that you do to support us. We greatly appreciate it.